And in this hostile world, we are to live godly lives so we can be an example to others and so we can bring glory to God. And in this world, in that godly life, uh, it also affects how we respond to our spouses, to our bosses and those in authority of us in government. And it also affects how we respond to suffering. And the term suffering is something we've heard a lot in First Peter so far. We've talked about suffering probably more than anything else. And I think there's a reason for that. And today we're in First Peter uh, 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes at you, when it comes to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you, as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are, in, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as Christ, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I can't tell you how incredibly challenging it was to study this, this section of Scripture. Uh, it's been on my mind since Jared asked me to preach. I have gone over it over and over again, and it has completely changed the way I look at my life. It seems to happen every single time I study a passage of Scripture to preach it. I just, I'm forced to see how this affects my life so I can tell you how it should affect yours. And it is, it's kind of wrecked me in some places. And in here in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to test you. That word fiery trial it is actually talking about almost in the same term as a smelting. Uh, I don't know what you'd call that. A place where they smelt metal or they, they're refining the metal. They're heating it up so hot that the impurities come to the surface. That, that heat... And that refining fire is bringing us back. Peter's bringing you back to what he said in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why would he bring this up again? Why does he keep bringing us back to suffering? Why does he keep bringing us back to the tested genuineness of our faith? Why would Peter keep doing this? It's, it reminds me of when I was first married. Uh, Lindsay and I, we've been married for uh, coming on 10 years. And when we got married, we were young. She was 19. I was 21. Uh, we were kids. And we had no idea how bad we were going to be with our money. We had no idea how bad our finances were going to be. We both worked minimum wage jobs at Target, and we just thought we had so much money because our rent was cheap because my mom owned the rent house that we were at. 
Uh, our utilities were cheap. We drove old cars. We had no car payment. I mean, the worst thing was that my truck was a gas guzzler. That was about the only thing I had to worry about every month. But my mom, who's sitting in the back, actually, she kept telling me to make a budget and to get some savings built up. I mean, over and over again. And my mom has been in the banking business for longer than I've been alive, so she knows what she's talking about. She said, make a budget, put some money back. You really need to do that. I'm like, I'm fine. And plus, I really need to buy this new Xbox 360 when it comes out. So I need to use that money for that. I don't need to put it in a budget. I'm fine. I'll be all right. I work at Target. Come on. I've got to be doing good, right? No. Well, there came a time where I lost my job. I didn't have any money. And I really, really wish I would have heeded that advice. And then later on in life, we actually did listen to her. And we did make a budget. And we got some money from a student loan. And uh, I was working three jobs to put my wife through nursing school. And the main job went away. I lost it. But we had money in the bank. We listened to her advice. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's telling you, this is important. You're going to encounter trials, and you need to know what to do when they come. So just like my mom pestered me about doing this budget, he's pestering you that, listen, you need to be prepared. And he says it right here. Beloved, do not be surprised. And too often in our society, we, we have this almost sense of entitlement as a Christian, that everything's going to go right. Uh, if you watch TBN or any of these channels, you'll see all these pastors who get up and tell you, man, God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Nothing's going to go wrong. We talked about in discussion group about uh, Sir Leo's favorite book, uh, Your Best Life Now. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Don't judge him by that. But that's the society. That's what we have is we have this belief that it's, we're going to have our best life now, right? We're Christians. We're heirs to the throne. We're going to have this great, wonderful life. But Peter's like, no, that's not that's not how it is at all. You're going to encounter trials, so he wants you not to be surprised. He doesn't want you to have this excuse that I didn't know this was going to happen. And us, in today's society, most of you have one in front of you, or you have one at home. You have this thing called a Bible, which gives us even less of an excuse. Because all throughout the Bible, it tells us that as Christians, we're going to suffer. Jesus tells us that we're going to be sent out like sheep among wolves. In every epistle, we're told about suffering. Because we don't need to have that excuse. We don't need to rest on that excuse because when we do, what do we get in our hearts? We get bitterness towards God. We get anger towards God or we get anger towards the ones that hurt us. Instead of doing what the Bible tells us to do next, which is rejoice. That is the opposite of complaining about it. We're rejoicing in it. But we're not rejoicing in the pain. We're rejoicing in the God who is allowing that pain to purify us. In that response when he says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is very important for us to not forget what he means when he says, Share in Christ's sufferings. When we look at the life of Christ, we look at what Christ died for, we look at how he was tortured, how the people that he came to save spit on him and nailed him to a cross. 
and you get to share in that. That is an honor. It is an honor to share in the sufferings of Christ. So when you were persecuted, when you, which we don't really know persecution here, but we've seen some. We see it all over the world. When the others are persecuted, when uh, pastors have their heads cut off by ISIS, when people are tortured and imprisoned for years, they're rejoicing. Why do they have that attitude? Because they have the honor of sharing in the suffering with Christ. Because they love Christ so much that they find it to be a, a blessing that they're being tortured. It reminds me of the way the apostles reacted in Acts chapter 5, 41. They had been arrested and imprisoned. Then when they were set free, this is what they said. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. That's not our mentality here at all in, this, in the United States. Suffering is a bad thing. There's no honor in it. We think that we're worthy to not suffer. But the word of God tells us that they found it worthy that they got the opportunity to suffer. Is that how we look at it? But we can't forget that one of the main reasons that we're suffering is so our faith can be tested. And he says that in the last part of 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So that if you're able to suffer well, if you're able to rejoice in your suffering, suffering, this is a proof of your faith. And one day you will rejoice in his glory. How beautiful is that? That if you're being tested and you're able to rejoice, this is proof to the rest of the world and to yourself and to God that you are his. That you belong to him. And that one day this world will pass away, it'll be gone, and you will have an eternity with God and with Jesus. An eternity in glory. Paul says it like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. We can't even compare it. We have nothing to compare it to because it's so much greater than what we have. We have lots of, of, of little snippets of what heaven's going to be like or what it's going to be like in the glory, but it will blow your mind. It'll be so much different. It'll be so much better. But for this time, we have to suffer. And it hurts. And it's painful. And it's hard. I have uh, some friends, their names are DJ and Tiffany, and last year was probably the worst year of their lives. They've been married for two or three years, and they got pregnant, and everything was going great. And they got a phone call. They got a phone call that no mother or father wants to ever get. The baby's not doing well. We don't think it's going to live. And she carried the baby to full term, and we all prayed every day and every night. We prayed over her. She went to different churches and different pastors prayed over her. Uh, we just, everyone was crying for this baby. And when baby Cade was born, he lived for 40 seconds. And then he went home to be with the Lord. But the most beautiful thing happened was at his funeral, his dad, who just lost his son, got up on the pulpit and preached the gospel. And in some weird way had joy in a moment when everyone else was in sorrow. 
How did he have that joy? He had it because he knew this isn't the end. That Christ is with him. God sustained him through that moment. And it is a horrible tragedy. But God is so much greater. And a lot of people get pushed back by that. They think that maybe he was just calloused. This is the callous guy. That's the only reason he could get up there and say that is because he doesn't care about his child. No, this man wept for hours. I know because he wept on my shoulder. We cried together, but he still had joy. How did he have joy? Again, it's because of Jesus. The same way you could have joy in any tragedy. We don't rejoice in the tragedy. We're not rejoicing that this happened to them, but we're rejoicing that this is going to make them more like Christ. And that they're going to be a witness. Someday, they're going to find a mother and a father who went through the same thing, but they don't know Jesus, and they're going to be able to witness to them. They're going to be able to show them something better. And that's the point of this suffering here. Now here... um, I want you to understand that a lot of people think that this passage is just about persecution. And and honestly, it is. That's the context of this suffering is persecution. But I believe this applies to any kind of suffering. If you're a Christian and you're suffering, I believe this applies. But here in this next verse in 14, Peter's going to talk about something very specific. And usually when we think about persecution, we think about something physical. We think about torture or imprisonment. But he's not talking about that here. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, I'm willing to bet that uh, this may have actually happened to some of us in here. I'm pretty sure that some of us have experienced an insult or a jab, probably on Facebook. Let's just be honest. Facebook is wonderful, has some great, I guess, some benefits. But man, when we say something about Jesus on Facebook, people are going to respond negatively. It's going to happen. I, I looked at a conversation, <laughs> conversation last night about someone's testimony. It was an awesome testimony. And boy, people just attacked it like that. But, but we're supposed to call that a blessing? That's a blessing? That's not how we respect it. When you're insulted for this, do you automatically think, man, I'm blessed? That guy just called me an idiot. That is so awesome. I mean, this guy just cussed me up and down. I must be just just the best person ever. No, we don't think of it a blessing. We get insulted. We want to retaliate. Our anger builds up. No, we're blessed. How in the world can that be a blessing? I was picked on through all of high school. I know there's no way that you could think that. I just, I'm so cool looking, right? But no, I was, I got a cool haircut. But no, I was a major nerd in high school. I liked to say that I was picked on because I was a Christian. No, it's just because I looked dumb and I did stupid stuff. So I got picked on a lot. I know how it feels to be insulted. I do. But see, I didn't have that, that assurance that I was being insulted because I was a Christian. When you're a Christian and you're insulted and mocked and slandered, you have this assurance that, man, you must be doing something right. God must be so evident in your life that it's bothering those that hate God. Because if you don't love him, you hate him. The Bible's very clear about this. You're hostile against anyone that loves him. So why would we be blessed? He tells us the answer here. That the spirit of the glory 
Spirit of glory and of God are resting upon you. So in that moment, the Spirit of God himself is on you. And the Spirit of God, let me just let you know, that is a very powerful thing. It says in the Word that the Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That's a powerful thing. The same Spirit that landed on Samson to give him his strength is the same Spirit that comes on you when you're insulted. Imagine the strength that it gives you, but not strength to get a jawbone and beat those people to death. That's not what I'm telling you to do. I don't need that report to get to Jared. He just told us to go kill a bunch of people, I promise. No, it's the strength to endure it. We, we all hear Philippians 4.13, and we think that verse means so many things that it doesn't mean. Every sports team that I see, somebody in the crowd, or someone's got it tattooed on them, or somebody's like, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can win at this sporting event, or I'm going to get this job. That's not what that means. Paul is in prison. He's talking about how I can endure this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you can endure the suffering that will come because Christ is going to strengthen you. Don't, don't be confused by this. And I think that, that we can often get confused. We think that, our, <laughs> that when we're insulted, when we're hurt, when we're beat down, it's always because... We're a Christian. It's not. In fact, uh, he's going to warn us about this in 15. Again, like I said, in high school, I was kind of a nerd, and I was really rude about my faith. I was really uh, abrupt about it. I'm pretty sure most people wanted to beat me up. <laughs> but um, I, was, I was very overzealous. I would tell people they were going to hell all the time. It's not, it's not a good thing. And whenever I would get insulted or, or beat up about it, I'd always go to church and be like, man, I just suffered for Christ today. They yelled at me. They hated me. I must be doing something right, right? No, I, I had the wrong heart about it. I had the wrong attitude about it. And what he warns us here, he says, but let none of you, this is verse 15, suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But none of us suffer as these things. Because what I want you to understand is this is important because he's already told us about this in chapters 2 and 3. He's already warned us about this. We've already heard about this again. So again, he's repeating himself because this is important. Because what a lot of us will do is we will take the natural consequences of our sin and we'll try to justify them by saying, hey, I'm suffering for Christ. I knew a worship leader once who was really, really late for church. So he sped the entire way. And you know what happened? He got pulled over and he got a ticket. And his daddy was the judge, so he tried his best to get out of the ticket. Didn't happen. And you know what he said? He said, hey man, I'm just being persecuted for Christ. It's like, no, you got a ticket because you were speeding. That is not persecution for Christ. So we need to understand that he's warning us here that if you are a slanderous gossip, people not trusting in you, not trusting you, not believing what you say, is not you suffering for Christ. If you are lazy at your job, or you're dishonest at your job and you get fired, that is not you suffering for Christ. If you have an affair, 
If you are unfaithful to your husband or wife and they leave you, don't come to church and say, hey guys, I am suffering for Christ right now. My wife just left me. Why'd she leave you? Well, I mean, I cheated on her, but I'm still suffering, right? No, you are suffering the consequences for your sin. And do not ever take this verse that we're supposed to suffer for Christ and justify the reaction, the uh, consequences of your sin. Because if you do that, that is shameful. In fact, he tells us just as much because he contrasts this with verse 16. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Why tell them not to be ashamed? Because there's plenty who should be ashamed for what they're doing. You should be ashamed, not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But our sin should shame us. We should never glorify or justify our sin. But here, it says, do not... He says, yet if you anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Church, we should never let our suffering go to waste. If you suffer because you're a Christian, if something happens to you, like my friends DJ and Tiffany, they could have let that go to waste. They could have ignored it. They could have hidden their house. And they could have suffered quietly. But they didn't. He got up. And gave the eulogy for his son and shared the gospel. And this was an opportunity for him to show others the joy that you can have in Christ. And you have that opportunity. You have that opportunity here, now, in your life. Whatever you're going through, you have a testimony that can bring someone else to Christ. That may be what they need to see. They may see on TV all these preachers telling them that if you're a Christian, your life's great. And they may have been lied to. And then when they tried to live for Christ, they were destroyed by trials. They couldn't last because they didn't believe the truth. But when they see you withstanding the trials, they see the truth. They see the power of Christ. And that is so important. Speaking of the lost, I, I want us to really pay attention to this last part. This is right where we kind of cut off in discussion time, and I was really hoping we'd get into this a little bit more, but we weren't able to because of time. The next two verses, he says, For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We have to be careful when we hear the word judgment. This does not mean that our sins are being punished when we suffer. Please understand that. That is not what he's saying. Christ dealt with that on the cross. You are not being punished for your sins when you suffer justly. What he is saying, what this judgment is, is the purifying suffering that we've been talking about. The fiery trial that melts down you and brings up Christ. That takes away your sin. That makes you more godly. But what he says about the lost is. It's important to see this. And then that word scarcely here means with difficulty. So we're saved with difficulty. We go through trials to make us more like Christ. But what about the lost? What about those who don't know Christ? How much worse is it for them? 
That's what he's saying. How much worse is it for your coworker who doesn't know Jesus or your spouse who doesn't know Jesus or your parents or your children? How much worse is it for them? And this hits us in two different areas. This is twofold. The first is what about them living in this fallen world? What about the, them losing their job? What about someone who's lost losing a child? What about someone who's lost getting cancer? How much worse for them if they don't have that living hope? How much worse for them if they don't have a hope of a future glory? If this is it for them? How much worse is it? We can rejoice because we have Christ. They have nothing. They have support groups. They have these things that will fade. But in the end, they have nothing. Because they don't have Jesus. And the other thing is, how much worse is the final judgment going to be for them? How much worse is hell going to be? And Christian, we can't ignore that hell is a place that exists because Jesus talks about it more than he talks about heaven. Hell is real. There is an eternal judgment for those who don't know Jesus. And there are people all around you who are going there. This should weigh so heavy on us. This should force us to want to witness to these people, to tell them about Jesus, because God told us, Christ told us, to go therefore and make disciples. Not just come to church and ignore the rest of the world. There is a judgment that's going to fall on them, and if it doesn't weigh heavy on you today, you need to pray about that. You need to repent about that. Because one of the main purposes of you suffering is so you can help those who don't know Jesus. So you can show them the path to make you stronger, to make you a better witness. The way this chapter ends is probably one of the most beautiful in all the New Testament. Maybe to me. I'm just sentimental like that. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The whole point of this entire chapter, or this portion of this chapter, can be summed up in these words, those who suffer according to God's will. I'm a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. I'm a firm believer that every single thing that happens, happens for a reason. And I'm a firm believer that what you're going through today, what you may have gone through, is not for nothing. There is a purpose for it. And as much as we hate to talk about this, it's in God's will for it to happen. We can't talk about the story of Job and not realize that God allows bad things to happen to good people. That's the number one reason people don't want to serve Christ is because they think, why, why does he let this stuff happen? But we know the answer. We know it's to purify us. We know it's to make us stronger. It's all in God's will. And we have to trust him. Trust that he's a faithful creator. I'm going to try my, my hardest to get through this. Uh, I said earlier, my wife and I have been married for 10 years. And uh, in those 10 years, we have not been able to conceive a child. 
in those 10 years, uh, we have struggled with that so much. <laughs> when we first got on Facebook, it was just so much fun. And then all of a sudden, pregnancy announcement, pregnancy announcement, pregnancy announcement, pregnancy announcement. Everywhere we saw. I can't tell you the nights that I'd come home and have to let my wife cry herself to sleep on my shoulder. It's a horrible, horrible thing for her and for me. But then we'd read the scriptures and we'd see that this is okay. That this suffering is for our good. And it was beautiful. And we allowed that suffering to make us stronger. Because we didn't realize this but just a few years into our marriage, her family was struck in with a disaster. It was just so horrible. This disaster that made the, what we go through look like nothing. She lost 50% of her immediate family in one blow. Gone. And she had to be there for her parents and her remaining siblings. And if we would have had kids, you realize how hard that would have been in that situation for us to focus on them and our child? God knew what he was doing. For God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And although you know, we're about to hit our 10-year mark in September and no baby yet, but guess what? We went to the doctor the other day and got some pretty good news. It looks like we're on the right track. It looks like things are looking up. Praise God for that. That's a miracle. But even if it doesn't happen, we know we can endure this suffering because we have Jesus. And this is his will. And it's good for us. He knows us. He loves us. He is our father. How beautiful of a father is he that he allows us to go through these suffering. How beautiful of a father is he that he helps us endure these sufferings. And how beautiful of a church we have where we can lift each other up during these sufferings. Because many of us have testimonies that will encourage the person sitting next to you. Many of you have things that you're going through that you need the person next to you to encourage you about. Don't let this suffering go to waste. And then he closes it with this. Three words, while doing good. You can look at your life in two different ways. You can look at your life that, that I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. I pay my tithes. I preach occasionally. I do this and that. I teach a small group. Whatever you do, you could say, how dare God let me suffer? I'm not going to do anything else for him until this situation gets better. Or you could be a little bit better than that and just let God use you in that moment. How much greater is it to be used when you're suffering? And it reminds me, uh, back in, in Acts chapter 5, uh, we were talked about earlier about how the apostles rejoiced. They didn't just stop there. In Acts 5, 41 through 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Tell me how beautiful that is. If that's not beautiful to you, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I said it. 
that's beautiful that they were commissioned. Do not preach about this anymore or it's going to be worse the next time. The council told them that. Don't do this anymore. Stop. Quit. But what did they do? They just kept doing it. They just kept preaching. They kept teaching. And that's what God's telling That's what Peter's telling us to do. Keep doing good. Whatever you're doing, it's not in vain. Keep doing good. Keep going. Keep moving. Because Christ is a good God. Jesus loves you so much. If we forget this, then we are going to get bitter. We are going to get angry. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a sovereign God and that you know what you're doing. And we're thankful that you allow us to suffer now just for a little while so that it will make us more like you. God, as we leave this place, let us go into this broken, fallen world as lights into the darkness. Help us to share the gospel. And Father, allow us to worship you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.